the end of chapter number 4. We're going to be reading from verse 24 of Ezra 4, just down to verse 2 of Ezra 5. So, only the three verses of Scripture this morning. And let's read then Ezra chapter number 4 and verse 24. The word of the Lord says this. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year in the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the prophets Haggai and the the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Let's pause for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing God, that you're a saving God. And we thank you, Lord, for what we've seen this morning in the children's talk and, and that very clear message that we were indeed trapped in our sin with no hope, no way out, no way of digging ourselves out. So, Lord, you came down and you pulled us out of the Murray pit. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion. We thank you for the gospel message that we have, which is the good news. That yes, there is none that is righteous, no, not one. But also we know that whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we thank you for the gospel, the gospel of grace. We thank you for your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us, Lord, as we were touched in our hearts with the children's message about the day that you saved us. Lord, will you touch our hearts this evening, or this morning, sorry, with the message from your word of who we are in you. Never let us forget who we are. And we thank you, Lord, that we are children of the living God. And that you love us with an eternal, everlasting love. So, Lord, I pray that you would open hearts this morning. That you would touch us, Lord, through your word. Uplift us, whatever it may be, Lord. I ask that you would use me this morning. And Lord, that we would hear from you. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. So if you remember last time around, um, it was a couple of weeks ago now, we were in Ezra. And we just dealt with um, the portion of scripture that took us from uh, Ezra chapter 6 all the way, to, or Ezra 4 verse 6 to verse 23. And it was that little parenthetical section um, where it just reflected uh, on all the stuff that came along under all those different rulers. When we get to verse 24, we're plugged back into the chronological narrative that we find in verse number 5. So Ezra 4 verse 5, it says, And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius king of Persia. We get to verse 24, which, you know, if you take the... the the verses in between out, you're, you're right back in the chronological order. and says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we get to this point, and we are at a standstill. 
in the work of God. And we've been with these people, haven't we? As they've been called, as they've been stirred by God. And we've seen how God has stirred the heart of the heathen ruler to allow them to go back into the land. And it's, it's mighty prophecy being fulfilled. And God is at work and the people come back and there's a, an enthusiasm and there's a, a desire for the work. But it seems to them fizzle out and persecution comes and difficulty comes and all these things happen. And we get to the point where It's at a standstill. And God's response to this is to send in the prophets. To send in his vehicles for his word in that age. They send in, God sends in the prophets to stir the people once again. Now in this age, the church age, God isn't sending his prophets anymore. He's sending his shepherds, pastors, those to proclaim his revealed word, to do the same thing. But in Old Testament economy, these were the people that brought the authoritative word of God to the people. Now the prophets in question are Haggai, the prophet, or Haggai, whatever way you want to say it, we'll not fall out over it, and Zechariah, the son of Ido. And these two prophets, we know them well. We know their accompanying books in the Old Testament. And the two books differ in their content and character, but they never stray from the message that God is trying to get across. And that message is that God is calling his people back to him. That's God's message. Ezra 5 verse 1, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah in Jerusalem in the name of God and even unto them. The prophets were there to bring the word of God to the people that needed to hear from God. Why did they need to hear from God? Because they were at a standstill in the work of God. If they'd been working, God wouldn't have had to send the prophets. The prophets were sent because the people weren't doing what they should do or weren't behaving as they were and they weren't resting on the promises of God and the character of God and resting in their privilege. They had forsaken it. They had forgotten it. So God sends his men to remind them. Let's turn to Haggai together and we'll see what was said to the people through uh, this prophet. Haggai chapter 1, we'll read from verse 1 to 7. Haggai 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speak the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
You've sown much, you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That was the message that was brought by Haggai. Now that was God's message for the people that we're reading about in Ezra chapter number 5 where the work is at a standstill. And notice what's being said to them. Basically I'm paraphrasing, you've stopped doing the work of God and you are continuing in your work, your desires, your dreams, your homes, your houses. But my house, Lies in waste. The work has stopped in my house. But in your house it continues. Now the guy says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And I want to say to you, if there's ever an Old Testament portion of Scripture that applies to the generation today that call themselves the people of God, it's what I've just read in Haggai 1. Verses 1 to 7. Because we live in a world where we feather our own nest. Our houses are built up where the house of God can lay in disrepair. Our houses are built up where the work of God suffers. We don't give to the work of God like we should. We don't give sacrificially. Oh, I can't afford it. I don't have enough money in the bank. But the world gets your money. Sky gets your money. Netflix gets your money. Argos gets your money. Takeaways get your money. Your hobbies get your money. Your clothes get your money. Your passions get your money. But God gets nothing, if anything at all. The Word of God says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. People of God at Ezra's time had stopped. They had come to a standstill. Not in life, but in God's work. God's work had taken a back seat to their work. And Haggai comes along and with the message he says, This is not on. This is not who you are. And when the prophet of God comes along and says to them, consider thy ways, when the preacher of the word of God comes along to the church and he says, consider thy ways, what he's really saying to you, let me paraphrase it, let me bring it down into the very simplest of terms. What the word of God is saying to you is remember who you are. You're not of the world. You're a child of God. Elected into the privileges of God. Now, not in terms of salvation. But when you're saved, you become part of the elect body. You belong to Christ. You're His to serve Him. To bring the message of the good news. That's your purpose. That's who you are. That's your privilege. And that's who that those people were. They were the elect of God. And with that privilege came responsibility. And with our privilege, if you sit here today, saved by the grace of God that we heard about this morning, 
then you're in a privileged position. And with that privilege comes great responsibility. Cue the Spider-Man references, but there you go. There's great responsibility. And the prophet came along to the people and said, remember who you are. See, they were about the world's work. They weren't about the Lord's work. And the Lord's work was the important work. Anything we do in the world should help us to further God's work. Because that's our mission. That's our mission. The prophet comes along and he reminds them who they are, what they're called to. And look at verse 2 of Ezra 5. The reminder leads to response. Challenged by the word. Challenged by the exhortation. Challenged by the authoritative word of the Lord. We read, Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Sheetel, and Yeshua, son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God, helping them. So God sends his men in to deliver the message, but they don't just deliver the message and disappear. They stay to help to build the work together. And notice it's the leadership that are stirred by the word of God to get back to where they should be, to back to what they should be doing because that's their purpose, that's their call, that's why they're there. That's why God has allowed them to be in that land once again, to be about his work, to do his business. And stirred by that shock bolt of the word of God, they get about God's work. They get about God's business. They remember who they were. Now, we're going to leave Ezra this morning. We're done with Ezra this morning. It doesn't mean we're done with the sermon, but we are done with Ezra. Because what I simply want to look at this morning, simply want to look at, is who we are today. Right here, right now as the gathered body of Christ. Who are we? We're going to have a look at it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we're going to go through some verses. And you may say, I've heard these a million times before. You're going to hear them again. Because I want to remind you this morning who you are. Let's start with 2 Corinthians. Chapter number 5, verse 17. Let's begin at the beginning. That's why I appreciate Ben's talk this morning. Because the Holy Spirit's speaking. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, anybody that is saved by grace, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I want you to notice and highlight and put in your mind the if. This is conditional. Conditional to the new birth. It's conditional to knowing Christ as your Savior. It's conditional to coming to Christ and knowing that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You're stuck in that uh, uh, swamp of sin that we've seen. And you can't climb out of it. You can't get out of it. 
And God has to reach down and respond to you as you respond to him, acknowledging you are stuck, dead in trespasses and sins, and you reach out and God saves you. If that happens, you are a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want to say this, and this may sound harsh, but I don't see anywhere in there that there's any other condition on this than the if. I don't see any other conditions in there. And we've got to be true to what the text says. What does this mean? I really think it means by, your, by the fruit you will know them. If this is not you, if you're sitting here this morning and think, you know, I'm not a new creature. I'm not a, a, a new person. The old things are still there and they're not going. I want to say to you that maybe you're stuck at this if. That you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, well, oh, I come to church. Oh, I, you know, I, I give to the church. That's not what we're talking about. That's the great deception of the church today. That sitting in a seat in a church is enough. And it's not. It's all on the new birth. And many people in church today, here's the thing. This is the F thing that we, we struggle with. We have a crisis of identity. They don't know who they are in Christ. Firstly, some people think they're in Christ and they're not. And then there are others that are in Christ and convince themselves that they're not. It's an identity crisis. Some are confused to who they are in Christ. Some claim an identity that's not theirs. Oh, I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. But the heart level truth is You've never given your life. There's no evidence of that new creation in you. I absolutely believe with all my heart and all my soul that everybody that's born again will produce fruit. It's just a question of how much fruit. But if there's never been any fruit, you have to be serious and say, where am I in this if? Am I a new creation? Am I a new creature? Are all th things passed away? Am I becoming new? The good news is that if you do have that crisis of identity this morning, the gospel's open. The throne of grace is open. God doesn't say, no, you've messed me about. No, you've pretended. Now you're willing. I'll turn you away. It says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him for the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Heart level truth. And today is a day of salvation. Today is a day where you can draw a line under it and say, Do you know what? I don't really know who I am in Christ. Do you know what? I don't even know if I've given my life to Christ. Well, today is the day to get that right. You may not have tomorrow. Who knows? Those people in Ukraine that woke up with the Russians invading their territory maybe thought that day would never come. Today is the day of salvation. Isaiah 55, Seek ye the Lord, while he may be found, call upon him, while he is near. You come to him in repentance and faith. He can be saved. Saved from sin. 
Save from pride. Save from that place where you think you can do it all yourself. God is willing. He's opened the ar- his arms, as it were, to reach down and save you. But here's the problem. God is willing that none will perish. Amen? He wants to save everybody. That's his desire. The problem is people don't want to be saved or don't know that they need to be saved. And sometimes, I would say people that have been in church for a while or have grew up in church or have been around church or are comfortable sitting in church are those that don't know sometimes that they need to be saved. They don't recognize it. And that's the first step. You have to recognize it. Um, if you don't recognize that you need saved, God's not going to save you. That's the part of the process. Recognizing that you need God to pull you out of that swamp of sin because you can't get out of it yourself. And the thing with sin is, and you know, using Ben's illustration, and again, I am thankful for the illustration this morning, but using that as an illustration you know, sometimes swimming about in that swamp is pleasurable. I'm enjoying myself. I don't need saved. I'm free. There's no freedom in sin. It's deceptive bondage. And, and like Ben showed that, you know, at the start there's only a little bit and it seems comfortable and then there's a little bit more and it leads to more and more until finally you're overcome with sin. And at that point, you've got to realize, I need saved. But if you don't realize that you need saved, you're not going to get saved. I'm going to use Addison as an illustration for this. So, um, this, I was talking to the Bible College students on uh, Thursday. So, I've been teaching them uh, homiletics. And I was saying to them, you know, not to use canned illustrations too much. You know, illustrations you can find on the internet. Oftentimes, here, I'll let you into something. A lot of these illustrations you find on the internet that preachers use, old stories, there's not even truth to a lot of them. There's not even truth to a lot of them. So I was saying to the Bible college students, listen, use your own illustrations from life. You're tempted when you're just starting to put all these kind of internet illustrations in. Use your own. And then I said to one of the guys who was young, just got married, hasn't had any children, I said, you've just got married, you'll have children one day hopefully, the Lord will give you illustrations. Just wait, all right? In your young days, you don't have them. But then you get married, and then you have Claire, who's an illustration factory. You have, <laughs> you have Addison and Caden that do it. So here's Addison. This is, <clears throat> this is a, a breakfast bar stool. You know the type that's at the breakfast bar. Um, and this is our old kitchen in, in Longton. And Addison's favorite trick was to go and, and play in this thing, Okay. Which was fine. She was having fun. She was sitting in it. She was playing it. Until playtime was over and she wanted out. And then she realized that she was stuck. Right? So all that, all that, you know, Addison's very quiet. She must be having a good time. This is not me torturing my children, by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> Thinking she's having a great time, having fun, until the fun's over and then she wants out. And all I hear from the living room is, stuck, stuck, stuck. (laughs) What's the problem? She realizes at that point she needs saved. And she wants somebody to save. Now her father, earthly father, has to come and lift her out. There's no way she's getting out of that. She's stuck. She's doomed. 
Should have left it there probably, but there you go. <laughs> but she played in that for you know, 10, 15 minutes, having fun, free, until the reality comes and then the call goes out, I need saved. And that's just like us. Now, Addison didn't learn a lesson because there she is back in it again, like a year later. And that's like us as well, isn't it? God saves us out of this sin. The things that, you know, give us pleasure, we realize are a trap. God pulls us out of them. What do we do? Go back and plunk ourselves right back there. But the gracious Father, just like I was, was willing to come and save her. So, you know, we're all trapped by sin at one point. Those of us that are saved recognize that we were trapped by sin. We recognize that there was no way out. None. We were stuck. And we had to call out to God. And we were saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The hand of faith went up to the hand of grace of God. And God pulled us out of the pit that we were in that we couldn't get out of ourselves he saved us from our sin we're born again to be a new creation a new creature in Christ and then we can go to verses like Galatians 2.20 turn now with me you should know it well so we've recognised that we need saved God has saved us Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life is in his. And to that we should all say, Amen and Amen. That he has not just saved us from the wrath to come, that he has set us upon a rock, that we are in him. That's our identity as this new creation that we talked about in 2 Corinthians. We are in him. And because we are in him, we are called to live our life through him. And part of that responsibility and accountability, Romans 12, let's turn there. So, you know, Romans 1 to 11 it's all doctrinal, teaching us the gospel of grace. And then Paul says in Romans 12 and verse number 1, off the back of all that teaching of the gospel of grace, off the back of that all, Paul says, I beseech you therefore. What's the therefore therefore? Because you are saved by grace. Because you are a child of grace. Because God has lifted you out of that place and put you uh, on a throne in the heavenlies as it were. Because of all that. Paul says, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul's saying, remember who 
you are. And because of who you are, live like this. Live like this. Those same verses that Haggai said, Paul repeats. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't live to the world. Don't sacrifice to the world. Don't present your bodies to the world. Don't be wholly acceptable to the world, but to the Lord your God. Consider your ways. Remember who you are. We're to live our lives as children of the King, but here's the problem. We forget, we ignore, we reject who we are a lot of the time. We pick up these clothes on a Sunday. We take them off on a Sunday night and we put on our worldly clothes. And we go about our business and we live like a child of the world instead of a child of the king. I want to say to you, if that's you, if that touches your core this morning, my message is simply remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. I don't know, I'm sure many of you have seen The Lion King, the movie. Who, 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 has, who has seen The Lion King? Okay, enough of you for this to work. Good. Praise the Lord. So there's a scene in The Lion King where, what's the, what's the little Simba? I'm just checking if you have seen it. You've seen this a lot, Tiff, have you? Is this, did you say you wanted your wedding music to be, no, no. So Simba is the little lion. And he has a, a horrific start to life. What happens is his father, what's his father's name? Mufasa. You like it too, Josh? Okay, okay. Mufasa is his father. And he's the king, king of the jungle. And Mufasa's brother, Scar, ends up setting Mufasa up to be killed. He's murdered. And little Simba loses his father. And little Simba is the natural successor to his father as king of the prey. But he's um, encouraged by his wicked uncle to flee. His uncle makes him feel like he's responsible for the death of his father, basically. So he flees. He forgoes his privilege and his position of who he is. And he goes and he lives a nomad life. He goes out into the world. He forsakes the pride. And what happens is, there's a monkey. <laughs> if somebody's tuned in just now on, online, please bear with me. There's a, <clears throat> there's a monkey. What's the monkey's name? Rafiki. We do have a fanboy here. Okay. Right. <laughs> Rafiki the monkey. Fine, Simba. Living this nomad lifestyle. And he comes along and he says, you're Mufasa's boy. And he says, no, I'm not. And the monkey says, no, you, you are. I see him in you. But Simba doesn't want to see it. Until the monkey takes him to a little uh, pool of water. And he says, look at the water. What do you see? So the lion comes down, little Simba, who has forgone his privilege and his position. And he looks down and he sees a reflection in the water. And in the reflection, he sees his father. And the monkey, Rafiki, Oh, sorry. Says, remember who 
you are. And he looks and he sees the reflection of his father and he remembers who he is and he goes back to claim the position and the privilege he has to leave. Now, I use all that to say that. Sometimes we need to look in the face of the mirror of the Word of God to remember who we are. Because when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees the image of His dear Son. That's who you are. That's what it means to be in him and to have his righteousness that our entry to heaven is not based on us i've said this before your passport to heaven if there was one wouldn't have your photograph it has the picture of the lord jesus christ and his pierced hands and his feet the blood of the lamb that's who you are and you have to accept that positionally to live out that practically and when you have that in your head positionally I am in Christ I am his and you know theologically that is eternal that is unchanging that will never move if you've accepted him as your savior that is who you are and when you remember who you are then you can live out practically what it means to be who you are. But you've got to remember who you are, beloved. Galatians 3, turn there please. Verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. This is who you are if you know him. If you're saved by grace, this is who you are. If you're saved by grace, this is who you are. This is how you're to live. You may have run from this. You may be ignoring this. But if you're saved by grace, this is who you are. Galatians 3 verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And understanding that will give you a foundation. It will give you an identity. And it will help shape your life in this world. If you remember who you are. Because you're in Christ. And if if you're in Christ this morning. Positionally. You know him as your saviour. Then every one of these statements I'm going to make is true for you this morning. And I want you to rejoice in this. I want you to hold this. I want you to herald this. Proclaim it. Have joy in it. Because if you're in Christ, you are redeemed and you're forgiven. You're redeemed and you're forgiven. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. You do well to highlight these this morning. Colossians 1 verse 14, you're redeemed in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice, in him. In whom is it? The Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in him this morning, you're redeemed and you are forgiven. What a blessing. Even forgiven for leaving your phone on. 
How good is that? So you're redeemed, you're forgiven. More than that, though, this is the love of God, the grace of God, more than just forgiving you, more than just redeeming you, more than just sparing you from the wrath to come. He loves you. He loves you. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. We're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're loved. You're accepted in Christ Jesus this morning. If you know him as your savior, you're accepted where you are and who you are because of who he is. That doesn't mean that God will turn a blind eye and you can do what you want in your behavior. But in your position as a child of God, you're accepted. Ephesians 1 verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. That's who you are. You're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted. You're free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted. You're free from condemnation. You're complete in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 10. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. You're a child of God. John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Those aren't my words. They're God's words to his children this morning. Because of your position in Christ, if you're saved, if you're born again, you are a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. And now, rather than being rejected by God, rather than being an enemy of God, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted, you're free from condemnation, you're complete in him. You're a child of God. And all I want to say to you and and my own heart this morning is simply this. Believer, beloved, remember who you are and live according to who you are in him. Let's pray.